All right, y'all, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. The uh, good thing about the book of Jonah is the chapters are concise. They're only about 10, 12 uh, verses apiece. And you know me, I like to take a passage of Scripture and and really dive into it, which is why we spent like eight weeks on Acts chapter 1. but we're gonna be we're gonna be finishing up Jonah in uh, we got Jonah chapter three next week we're going Jonah chapter four and then we are going uh, to the New Testament um, because Jesus talked about the book of Jonah and we're gonna take a look at what Jesus had to say uh, in regards to the book of Jonah as well. Um, before we dive in here though, last week I mentioned to you uh, about uh, my car window and I made the mistake of saying this is going to be an easy fix. All right, those are the the word that was the dagger in the statement because we got the car, we got the the door taken apart. That was no problem. It was putting the new piece back on, including the speaker that didn't have the rivets, so now it's uh, kind of duct taped and uh, gorilla glued in there. Um, the uh, the flywheel that wouldn't stay in place. The fact that Eric's back went out. The fact that the, uh, the pane of glass dropped down after we had everything bolted back on, the pane of glass slipped down inside the door so we had to take the whole door back apart. Yeah, what should have been about a 45 minute job was about three and a half hours, including the dead battery. So um, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a lot of fun, but you know, as, uh, as Baptists like to say, I had a good time of fellowship, so. Uh, yeah, and uh, all right. Good thing cuts on your hands heal quickly too. So, all right, Jonah chapter three. Um, we are in uh, our, our third week here. Second um, Kings chapter fourteen verse twenty-five tells us that Jonah was a prophet, uh, and as a prophet, Jonah was given messages from God that he was supposed to go and deliver to the people. Sometimes those messages were easy messages to give, or sometimes like Isaiah. They were difficult messages. Isaiah chapter 6, um, God saying, who are we going to send? Who, we need somebody to send. And Isaiah's like, ooh, ooh, send me, send me. Um, only to find out that the message that God was going to give him, the people weren't going to listen to. He was going to talk and he was going to share and people were not going to listen to him at all. That's why sometimes when I uh, have an errand I need to run at school, I'll go, hey, I need... And, nine hands will go up in the air. They don't even know what I'm asking them to do. I'm like, yeah, I need you to go stick your hand in the toilet bowl, right? And quickly nine hands go down. Like, uh uh-huh, you need to wait. You need to listen. But sometimes they, they, they get that message where the, they, no matter how much they speak the message, the people refuse to listen. <clears throat> and as we begin this third message from the book of Jonah, we're going to see that God gave Jonah a second chance to do what he had called him to do in the first place. After being swallowed by the fish, Jonah repented of his actions and actually started singing a song of thankfulness and a song of praise inside the, belly's, or inside the, the fish's belly, which is what we looked at. And he concluded that salvation is from God. At this point, God released him from the prison of the fish's belly and he was vomited up on the shore, which I can't imagine was a, a pleasant experience. I guess getting swallowed was pretty bad going back out. You know, they always say it tasted better going down than it did coming up. All right, I teach third grade. These are things that we talk about. All right, now what we're gonna see today though, it's not always easy to be obedient to God, but it is always necessary. 
Let me say that again. It's not always easy to be obedient to God, but it is always necessary. We must be obedient because it's one of the ways that we demonstrate that we love God and we're one of his children. Jesus said in John chapter chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now let, let's go ahead and pray. I'm going to read a couple verses, and then we're going, to, uh, we're going to take a look at what happens here. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with our time today, Lord. I pray that uh, as we look at Jonah, uh, so often it's, it's easy for us to be up on our, our, on our perch, on our high horse, and look down on Jonah and, and think that if we were in his shoes, uh, that we would have done things uh, differently. But... Um, The reality is that that's often not the case. But Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds uh, to what the Holy Spirit has to to share with us from this passage. Lord, help me to get out of the way and and let the Holy Spirit communicate uh, and let us be different people as a result of being here this morning. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, um, Jonah chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Now, being a God of second chances, God gave Jonah a second chance and commanded him to go to Nineveh again. And I don't think Jonah even gave it a second thought. I think he probably, I don't know how God communicated to the prophets. I imagine it wasn't through email or anything like that. But I imagine as soon as Jonah heard God's voice, he was out the door. Didn't even care what God was about to tell him to do. He was on the road like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going. Um, and it, would have ta- it was a 500-mile journey from Israel to Nineveh. I mean, it was, it was, it was quite a trip to get there. Um, it would have taken him some time, but Jonah knew the consequences of not being obedient. All right, we, we've looked at other passages, and we know, I mean, this probably, it probably took him over a month to arrive in Nineveh, just based on how people could travel uh, during those times. Um, Jonah, pro- Jonah did not want to go into the ocean again. All right? I think he, he had that experience, and he's like, yeah, I don't think I want to run the risk of doing that a second time. Um, God had given him a message of repentance to preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah was going to make sure that it was delivered. Just like Jonah, you and I have been commanded to go into the world and tell others about the message of Jesus. We've looked at this verse before, but Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The message that we're called to share with others we refer to it as the gospel. There's a Greek word for it, but as I've, you guys know, my Greek's not that great. I just make stuff up because that's what great, great Greek scholars do. Um, but the word gospel, it literally means good news, right? We have a message to share, and it is good news. In fact, it's the greatest news that anybody could hear. It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins, Way back in Genesis 1, as, we, as we've probably seen, January 1st, most people read Genesis chapter 1, right? We're, we're good with our reading plans until January 2nd, right? right. I, saw, I saw on Twitter one time or, or Facebook or something, uh, one of my favorite comedians is like, shout out to everyone reading Genesis 1 this morning on January 1st, but okay. All right. 
But when, when sin entered the world through Adam, we were all condemned, all right? There's a, there's a fancy term for it, it's called federal headship, right? Even though we weren't there with Adam, Adam was standing in our place, and when he and Eve sinned by disobeying God, sin entered the world. And as a result, we were all condemned for our sins, right? And we talked this morning in Sunday school that even if we followed all of the law that was given to us to show us our sin, we would still be guilty. Because what would end up happening, this wasn't mentioned, but I was thinking it, what would end up happening is, as we were as we were checking off all those things, you know, we would fill ourselves up with pride. We'd be like, what's up, y'all? Look at this. Boom, filled out the whole checklist. What are you doing? Oh, you missed one, sucker. Right? I'm better than you. We would be filled up with pride, which would then make us guilty of, of sin. Um, and a righteous, holy God, a righteous and holy God demanded that there be a perfect atonement for that sin. Something that you and I couldn't do on our own because we're sinners. A sinner can't make a perfect atonement for something. And because we could not do this for ourselves, Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus to die in our place. John 3, 16, for God, so loved the, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God knew that we were incapable of making this atonement for ourselves, of paying for our sins ourselves, so he sent the only one who could, and that was his son, Jesus. But not only did Jesus die in our place, but three days later, he rose from the dead. And in doing so, it proved that the sacrifice had been accepted. It proved that, that the, in essence, the check had been received and the payment had been made. We stand justified before God because of what Jesus did for us. We are now reconciled to God through Jesus. Not because of anything that we did ourselves, but because of the work of Jesus, we now stand justified before God. We aren't perfect, but when God looks at those of us who are believers, he sees that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. He sees us as righteous because of what Jesus did. All right, I was thinking, uh, how, how can I illustrate this? Um, sometimes you go to, uh, well, I, I did. I used to go to uh, a lot of punk shows, and I'd go to a lot of, a lot of rock concerts. And sometimes a, a buddy would go with me, and I would pay for him to get into the show. And to get into the show, they would put a stamp on the back of your hand. As long as you had that stamp, you were welcome to be in the show. The guys walking around checking stamps didn't care how, who paid to get the stamp on your hand. As long as you had that stamp, you were welcome to be in the show. Right? That's the same thing that Jesus did for us. He paid so that we could enter into God's presence. God looks down and he sees that we have the stamp on it. And I realize this is a terrible illustration, probably. God sees that stamp and says, you are welcome here because it doesn't matter how it got paid for, you are welcome here. And this is the good news. And this should be easy for us to tell, right? We, we should be excited to go out and tell that, that there is a possibility to have our sins forgiven. But it's not always easy. It's, it's, sometimes it can be a challenge. And the other side to that is, unfortunately, there's another part to that story, right? A lot of times we get focused on the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that Jesus paid for our sins. And because if we put our trust in Jesus, we, we are, are forgiven and we're going to heaven. But there's another part to that story. And this is the part that people don't like to talk about, right? Um, 
If we look back at Jonah chapter one, verse two, we see the message that Jonah was to deliver wasn't good news. Jonah chapter one, verse two says this, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah wasn't going to Nineveh to give them good news. Jonah was going to Nineveh to tell them, hey, you people are about to die, right? Y'all are wicked, y'all are nasty. God is going to kill you. That's not good news, right? It, it, we, we, sometimes you know, there, there are caricature, caricatures of, of preachers who all they do is they get up and they preach, they preach fire and brimstone, right? They, they, they wear the white shirts and they're, they're, they usually have a name like Dr. Love. Right? I got to be careful because there's a Dr. Love here in town. Um, we're not on Facebook today, so we're okay, right? But they wear, they wear the white suits and then they start screaming and preaching and telling you how bad you are and they never give you the good news. But on the other side of that, there are all these preachers who tell you all the good things about you and how Jesus loves you and he wants you to be rich and wealthy and all of that. We have to make sure that we're telling the good news but tempering it with the not so good news. Tina and I, she must be up in the nursery, we love a show called Scrubs. I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Scrubs. Um, it's a show about a group of friends who work in a hospital. And you know, th sometimes in that show, they, they, they'll have a patient that they'll come in contact with and they get to deliver good news. They're like, yeah, you, you're gonna have a boy or yes, you're sick, but we have the medicine to take care of it. And then there are other times, and if you watch any kind of doctor show, you know how this goes. There are other times where the doctor has to go and he has to deliver bad news. And he has to say, I'm sorry, but everything we've tried isn't working. Or, I'm sorry, we did everything we could, we just couldn't save her. Sometimes the doctors have to do that. And there are times where, like I said, the patient doesn't make it. While we are called to deliver the good news of the gospel, we are also tasked with delivering the hard news that those who don't accept the gospel are facing eternal separation from God in a place that we refer to as hell. Right? We have the good news that Jesus died for us, and if that's all we give, that's great. But if somebody walks away, we have to warn them. We have to let them know, if you do not trust Jesus, this is what you are facing. You are facing eternity in a place called hell. And there's a lot of discussion as to what hell is like. But let me tell you, it is not a place you want to go. Okay, There are a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, who have debates on what hell is like. But understand this. That eternity in hell means you are eternally separated from God. Right? The Bible describes hell in Revelation 20, 15. It says this, And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. All right? That's what hell is like. It is eternal separation. People, some people believe that it is a place of eternal torment. Right? That is what I personally believe, based on my reading of the scripture. There are other people who are a lot smarter than me who, who disagree with that, and, and, and that's fine. That's on them. All I'm saying is if our job is to share the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, but we are failing people if we do, do not warn them of the consequence of rejecting that message. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, 
and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. People are going to go to hell. That's the choice that they're going to make. But what Spurgeon is saying and what, what, what God was trying to get Jonah to do and what I'm imploring us to do is we can't let that happen. People are going to make that choice, but it needs to be over our fiercest objections. All right? There are times where, where I've heard people who go, um, well, it just wasn't the time for me to share the message. That's a cop-out. Right? And I've made that excuse myself. I've done it many times. I'm not up here pointing fingers at anybody. I guess maybe I am a little bit. but um, right? We make those excuses, but the reality is, is sharing that message is awkward. It, 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 it's scary. We are commanded by God to share the gospel with a world that is dying. And if they die without hearing the message of the gospel, they will be eternally separated in hell. Is it easy to share our faith? No. Because if it was, we'd all be doing it, right? If something was easy, we'd all be doing it. And the reason that it's difficult is we're engaging in spiritual warfare, right? It's not, it's not me against somebody else. It's me going up against Satan. But this does not excuse us from sharing our faith and inviting others to Jesus. Jack, if you'll go to the second slide, sorry. Um, the first slide, the first uh, passage there was, we must be obedient to share the gospel. The second thing that we're going to look at here is we must be obedient because others might get saved. Jack, go ahead and flip to the next one. All right. Jonah chapter 3, 3 through 5 says this. It says, Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on his first day, set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, "In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished." Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from, from the greatest of them to the least. Nineveh was, as the Bible tells us, an extremely great city. The phrase three days walk" indicates just how big it was. All right? Just to walk around the city was going to take you three days. And, 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 and that may, I may even be wrong in that. It may have been just to walk one length of the city. Because um, some scholars believe that the city had a length, just one side, of seven and a half miles. All right? So if you do the math on that, Nineveh was a city of about 50 square miles, which in ancient times was massive. I mean, that is a massive city. Just to put that in perspective... Washington, D.C. is about 68 square miles, all right? And I don't know if you've ever been to Boston. I have not, but I looked it up. Boston's about 85 square miles. And, of course, um, New York City, 500 square miles. So a um, little itty-bitty city compared to that. Um, but it was a massive city, and being a massive city, it was full of a massive number of people. There were a lot of people that lived in this city. And Jonah was only one person, he had no idea if he's going in and telling them, hey, this city's about to be destroyed, all right? He's got an eight-word message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. I think I may have butchered that a little bit, but um, he had no idea if they were going to reject him or if they were going to listen. He had no idea what was going to happen, but he had faith that God was going to do something. So Jonah went to Nineveh and began to preach his eight-word message, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. In the Hebrew, it's actually only five words, the way the, way the Hebrew language is written. Um, and the miraculous happened. 
as Jonah is preaching this message, at the end of the first day, he's, he's preaching this message that Nineveh is about to be destroyed, and the miraculous happened because people listened. These wicked, godless people that, that, uh, that, that trafficked in brutality and, and glorified murder and all kinds of other atrocities, they heard, Nineveh, or they heard Jonah say this, and they heard the message that God had Jonah deliver. And not only did they believe, but they took it a step further. They declared a fast. They willingly went without food to show just how deep they were cut by this message. And not only did they have a fast, but they also put on sackcloth. All right, the closest thing that I can think of sackcloth being is like burlap. I don't know if you've ever put burlap on your skin. It is not comfortable. Burlap is itchy and it scratches. And, 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 the, and in ancient times, burlap was a, when you, burlap, sackcloth, when you put on sackcloth, it was a sign of just how truly repentant you were for this. And so these people in Nineveh, who should not have listened to the message, heard what God was saying, repented of it, declared a fast, and began to show their repentance by putting on sackcloth. They, were, they weren't mourning because they were in trouble. Sometimes our kids do that, right? You, your, kid gets, your kid gets busted for something, and he starts wailing and crying and screaming because he knows he's in trouble, right? But as soon as he thinks the trouble has passed, the tears go away. It's miraculous, right? I don't know how kids do that so fast. But um, these folks were truly repentant for their sin. Jonah didn't try to convince anyone of their sins. He didn't give them a long presentation on why God was God and the, 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 the gods that the Nineveh, Ninevites were, were worshiping uh, were not. He didn't give them an explanation of where the scriptures came from. And he didn't try to answer where Cain got his wife. Those are always big things that pop up when, when you're trying to do this. He didn't try to tell him how Noah got all those animals on the boat. I, I was trying to think of all of the objections and things that I've heard. Um, all this. He simply preached the message that God gave him. The gospel is sufficient to save people from their sins. I had Eric read this at the beginning of the service. Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God. Right? The gospel is the battery that, that, of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. We need to share the gospel. We need to be obedient to, the God, to sharing the gospel, because when we do so, people might get saved. How is it that Jonah's message was accepted by the people of Nineveh? For a people that wicked, they should have looked at this half-crazy guy, because you can't go three days in the belly of a fish and come out normal. All right? That just doesn't happen. All right? They should have looked at him and been like, dude, there you go. All right? Dude, get your crazy fish babble out of here. We're not listening to anything you have to say. Right? Instead, they heard Jonah's message, and they were broken. They were broken over their sins, and they repented. And this only happened because of God. That something like this only happens because of God. It has nothing to do with us. Many of us are scared to share our faith because we are afraid that we will be rejected by those we're trying to reach. Right? That is a big fear, especially when it is a family member. 
We're, we're, we're afraid of rejection of that. Or we are waiting for the perfect moment to share that message. Here's the thing. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, you better pack a sandwich because that perfect moment is never coming. It's like Godot. He's never going to show up. That's for you literary people. Obviously, it went right over everybody's head. All right. We, ha- we have to be purposeful in our conversations. We have to be intentional in getting the gospel out. We are delivering a supernatural message, but if we aren't sending that message, it can't be received. Let me say that again. We are, de- we are delivering a supernatural message, but if we're not sending it out, guess what? It can't be received. No matter how many emails you type, if you don't hit send, making sure it's not going to reply all, but if you don't hit send, the intended person is not going to get it, right? And I'm sure we've all had experiences where we're like, well, did you get my email? They're like, what? And you go and you check your email and it still says draft next to it because you forgot to hit the send button. Now this week, I, I, I shared on Facebook this week about a challenge that we face as a church. Jefferson County is growing. Right? If you've lived here for any amount of time, you know that Jefferson County, my wife and I have only lived here in Jefferson County for about 13 years. All right? But in that 13 years, this place is extremely different than when we first moved up here. All right? Our realtor, she took us and she goes, hey, I want to show you something. And she took us to an empty field. And she said, what do you think? And I said, it's an empty field. She's like, yeah, we're building houses. I'm like, well, when are those houses coming? next year or so, like, let's go to the next one. All right, Luann, let's just take me to the next place. All right, but if you drive by that empty field now, there's probably 150 houses right there in that neighborhood, right? Down, uh, just down here at the end of Daniel Road, they're building what looks to be a massive neighborhood. I mean, that thing is going to be huge when it's, I hope they finally put it in a traffic light. (laughs) They're going to need it, all right? And down here, I took took, uh, Colin to the dentist. Our dentist is over here by Martin's. They built a, a big old apartment complex, and you know what they're doing? They're building more apartments. Every time I go over there, that apartment, that building's getting bigger. The, our county is growing, but here's the thing. Here's the challenge. All of this growth is taking place around our little village of Shenandoah Junction, and it's leaving us behind. We've got all of this growth going on, but none of that growth is coming here to the village. None of that growth is taking place right here where we are. Grace Baptist is located between two major roads. We got uh, whatever this, nine over here, and we got Flowing Springs over here. Major roads that connect us going this way to Martinsburg and this way to Shepherdstown. But very little traffic ever comes off of Shenandoah Junction Road. If you watch it, when it comes down here from Route 9, it goes whipping through that little S, boom, gets on Flowing Springs and keeps going. If they're coming this way and they turn between the, the middle school and the high school, They follow that road around, boom, they go right over there to to Route 9, and they keep on going. Very little traffic finds itself here in this neighborhood. So as a church, as the messengers of the gospel, we have to be intentional about taking the gospel from where we are here out into Jefferson County. We have to be intentional about going out to Jefferson County because guess what? Jefferson County isn't coming to us. They get on this road out here, Shenandoah Junction Road, and they keep on going. The the county is not going to come to us. We have to be intentional about going to them. 
Let that sink in for just a minute while I look at my notes. We can no longer just sit here on the corner calling ourselves a beacon of light because while we may be a beacon of light, if nobody can see that light, it's not gonna draw anybody in. We have to take the light to them. And as we do this, we need to remember what Jonah said in the belly of the fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 6 and 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's our responsibility to share the message. It's God's responsibility to bring the fruit, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People are not gonna develop faith. They're not gonna have the faith to trust Jesus Christ unless we're sharing the word of God with them. We have to be intentional about it. It's no longer enough for us to just say, we're here on the corner, why aren't they coming? We have to go get them because they're not gonna find us. All right, the third thing, Jack, if you'll go to the next point, we must be obedient because it might humble the proud. And that, that's a little bit of weird, a weird way to say it, but, but you'll see what I mean here in a second. Not only did the people of the city repent and turn from their sins, the king also repented. The most powerful man in an immensely powerful city repented. He also made a decree calling for a fast of both humans and animals. Let me read that to you. This is what he said beginning in verse six. He said, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is a huge thing for the king to have done. Then he issued a decree, decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. The most powerful man in the world, or in the city, heard this message, and it affected him. It changed him to the point where he said, this is what we're going to do. And when the most powerful man in the city made the decree, you better believe that it spread throughout all of the culture. This was a serious matter. And they, they, as I was reading this, I was going, well, why in the world did they do this to the animals too? Why did, they, why did they start? Why did they make the animals fast? And why did they put sackcloth on the animals? Well, they were showing that this was such a serious matter that they were willing to make whatever sacrifice they could, even if it meant the loss of their animals and the loss of their economy because of, uh, because of this. And this led to a citywide revival. The Ninevites turned from their wickedness and turned to God. I think it's safe to say that many of us who call ourselves believers are not happy with the direction the world is going. All right? Is that a fair assessment? We look, at, we look at our culture, we look at our society, and we're not happy with the direction that things are going. However, as believers, we have the ultimate tool to change that direction. And it's not Facebook. It's not Twitter. It's not any form of social media where you might get on there and, and, and uh, figuratively shake your angry fist at, at what's going on. All right? We've all posted memes about how dumb Donald Trump is or how bad Barack Obama was at one point. We've all done that. Guess what happened? Nothing. 
Nothing happened. Things still continued to go the way that they were going. The tool that we have to change this is the gospel. Right? By sharing the good news of the gospel, it will, it will, I'm sorry, it is the gospel message that can change hearts and lives. It is the gospel message that can change policy. Instead of using protest and angry rants on Facebook as our primary tool, we need to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel and living our lives as citizens of heaven. We need to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. When we do this, it will cause others, including those in powerful positions, to turn to Christ for forgiveness and change the way things are going. No matter how angry we might be, and no matter how many terse uh, rants we put on our blog, or if, if even people even do that anymore, or, or whatever, it's not going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change hearts, which will then result in a change of policy, is sharing the gospel. I woke up this morning, and I shared this in Sunday school. Um, I woke up this morning to see that white supremacists had made their way into my neighborhood. I was angry. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm so angry I'm on the verge of tears that, that people who, who are, are ah, I, I don't even have the words to say for what I'm feeling but they were spreading hate literature throughout my neighborhood. And I saw some of it, and it is the most God-forsaken filth that I have ever seen. And I promise, if I ever see one of those guys, somebody better hold me back, because I had to explain to my children what it was. Do you know how hard it is to have that conversation, to talk to people, to, to talk to your children that there are people who hate other people, not because of who they are, but because of what they look like? That is awful. And I can be angry, and I'm up here, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing some of my anger with you because it's cathartic. It's helping me to process what I'm feeling. But the only way that I'm going to change those people, change the idiots who had the nerve to throw that stuff in my front yard, the only way that that's going to change is through the gospel. Me beating the snot out of them, if I could. I'm not a very big guy, but... Um, me, me, me getting upset and calling the police and doing all of those things, it's not going to change one thing. Sharing the gospel with them. Sharing that Jesus can change their heart and take away that hate and take away that anger based on the fact that some dude doesn't look like you. The only way that that's going to happen is through the, the, the life-changing and the heart-changing message of Jesus Christ dying for your sins. It's the only way that that takes place. We all have, we all want to see our, our, our nation change in, in view on, and I made a whole list, but after that little rant, it didn't seem appropriate to go through these. We, there's all of these things that people get so upset about, bathrooms and, and people who can get married who maybe don't look like us and, and all of those things. But the only way that those things change is when we share the gospel and we live our lives as if we're citizens of heaven. It's the only way that that happens. You guys can clearly tell I'm passionate about this. The last verse of Jonah, let me read it to you. It says, the last, this is Jonah 3.10, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. The last thing we see in this chapter is God's mercy on display. When God saw that the city had turned from their wickedness, and I think I've stressed enough how wicked they were, 
He relented from the disaster and he did not destroy the city as he had threatened to do. Now, this doesn't mean that God changed his mind. One of the attributes of God is that God is immutable. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's going to be the same tomorrow. God does not change. And we should be eternally grateful for the fact that our God does not change. But in this case, God was showing his mercy. He told the Ninevites that there was judgment coming if they did not repent and turn from their wickedness. And when they did, instead of God bringing what they deserved, God showed them mercy and he let them continue to live. That is a merciful God that we serve. One of the greatest things about God is that he is a God of second chances. As we see in Jonah chapter three, he gave Jonah a second chance to be obedient to sharing the gospel. He gave the Ninevites an opportunity to repent. Each of us who is a believer had the opportunity to repent at some point and trust Christ for our savior. If you're sitting here today and you are a believer, you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, it's because God gave you a second chance. Sometimes he gave you a third chance and a fourth chance, and some of you it took 50 chances. But God gave you that opportunity to repent. To this end, we have the responsibility to share that message with a world that desperately needs to hear it. As we saw, the gospel message is a two-sided coin. We need to tell people that what Jesus has done for them, but we also need to warn them of the consequences of rejecting that message. Right? That is a serious and heavy thing. Right? And we shouldn't be flip about it. You, know? you shouldn't go, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And they're like, I'll buzz off. They're like, enjoy hell. Right? Well, that's not something that we should do. All right? We need to weigh that down. I mean, that should, that should weigh on us. It should be a burden that people that we know, if they reject that gospel message, that is where they're headed. We need to share with them the change that Christ brings, but we fail them if we don't warn them about hell. Sometimes to make the good news better, we have to share the bad news. Remember, it's not up to us to save anyone. You and I can't carry that weight, right? We, that would crush us if it was up to us. We serve a merciful God, one who delights in saving people. He wants everyone to repent from their sins so that they can be saved. Let me leave you with this last verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would uh, take the words that were just said, Lord. I, I pray that you would, uh, you would bless them. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open scripture and it, to, to discuss what, it, what is being said. Father, there were some heavy things that were talked about this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you for what Jesus did on, a, on, on the cross for me. And Lord, I know that that story can be recounted many times. But Lord, we also know that there are over 30,000 people here in Jefferson County who do not have a church home, who may have never even heard the gospel message, who have never heard the story or, or, or the fact, the truth, that Jesus died on the cross for them and three days later rose from the dead so their sins can be forgiven and they can be reconciled back to God. Father, help us to live in light of that. Help us to, to, to live in light of the gospel, knowing that, that what has been done for us, and help us to live as citizens of heaven, knowing that one day we will have eternal life. And Father, we, 
we, we, need, we need your strength. We need your courage. We, we need you to make us brave to go out and share this message because not only is it a good message, there is, there is uh, bad news associated with it. And Father, if, as Charles Spurgeon said, if there are people that are going to go to hell, let it be over our objections and over our exertions to keep that from happening. Lord, we know that salvation comes from you. And so we're trusting that as we share the gospel this week, as we have opportunities to invite people to come and hear the word of God, um, that, that you would work, that you, you would be the way, as we plant the seed, that you would be the one who gives the increase. Father, give us the, uh, the ability to go out and do that. Father, as, as we prepare to leave, Lord, I know that um, while this message was about sharing the gospel, there are individuals who are, are dealing with pain and who are dealing with, with anger and who, who may have some um, sin that needs to be confessed. And so, Father, I pray that during this time that they would do business with you, that today would be a day of healing, that today would be a day of, uh, of restoration and, and a return to, to the way that you intended things. Father, thank you that we were able to come together and worship, worship you through our study. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen.